Are you ready, ladies? Stand tall. Straighten those crowns and show them what you're made of. You're listening to the Farm Queen Podcast. So we're excited for another very unique and inspiring woman to be our queen on the podcast this week. Uh, From our last queen, Juliana, this week's queen, Krista, has a very unique farm called The Learning Farm. And her farm is a very cool space for children to learn and connect with their food and the land. She's an entrepreneur, a researcher, a farmer, and more. And she's doing so much to fight for change for the landscape of farming, um, as well as for African-American farmers, African diaspora communities. She collaborates with different uh, cultures, different groups, different generations, everything. So I want to let her have a chance to introduce herself. Krista, welcome. We're so excited to have you. If you could please tell us, you know, your name, your farm, where you are, what you do in your farm, how long you've been at it, that sort of stuff. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Um, my name is Krista Nunez, and I co-lead the Learning Farm with my husband Pete here in Ithaca, New York. And I also lead the nonprofit organization Cuba International, and we have a project called Quarter Acre for the People that supports um, people of color, um, marginalized people, um, poor people uh, in learning how to farm and accessing land to cooperatively farm and govern and steward together. Um, And so we've purchased um, a 14 acre parcel of land and a group of black women farmers uh, here in in central New York are going to be um, living and um, stewarding the land and farming together. Uh, And we're in the midst of that project right now and hope to duplicate um, or at least uh, obtain more lands for more people to have access to and live on and um, and farm together in the future as well. Um, and on my farm, we do a myriad of things. Um, we have a lot of fun. We have a really wonderful youth-oriented education model where we grow a bunch of different things. And we have a bunch of different animals and furry and feathery friends here. Um, and we basically really invest in the community to educate people about how to take care of um, animals and how to be animal husbandress and, and really love and care for uh, all the creatures um, in our care as farmers. And then also to grow a number of different annual and perennial plants. And we have a number of different berries and fruit trees and um, vegetables and flowers growing here. Um, just a really wonderful um, setting for students to learn about ecology and community care and food and nutrition. Um, so that's what we do. We have summer programming, we have after school programming, we have field trips, um, and we sell our duck eggs and our quail eggs um, in the community at our um, natural food store and our French restaurants. Um, and we're looking to build a kitchen. We have some Um, plans to build a a community teaching and um, commercial kitchen uh, where we'll be um, teaching folks how to cook really healthy, delicious, culturally 
amazing meals together and having communal meals together. Um, and we hope to have like a, a small juicery um, place where we can um, develop uh, different juice products. Um, and that's sort of how the farm started is our juice. Um, and we're hoping to bring that production back in house and um, get that back into the community as well. That sounds like a very busy week <laughs> for you on the average week. To say the um, least, yeah. Yeah, to say the least. And so I, I would love to follow up on that for a second. Um, you mentioned this quarter acre for the people and we've, you know, we've checked, taken a look at that online. It's a very cool concept. Where did you come up with the idea for what I would call essentially like a community farming space? Mm, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I worked with my husband on conceiving of our farm and we really knew that we wanted our children to be able to um, pick berries to their heart's content and climb apple trees and eat their own apples. And um, we knew that we wanted that for our kids. Um, and, and then we realized, okay, if we wanted it, everybody else should have a chance to have it if they want it too, regardless if they're living in urban spaces or wherever on reservations, wherever they're living, they should have uh, opportunity to do that. And then COVID hit and we were sort of on the path to do, to do that, but we were sort of um, still conceptualizing what that would look like. And, um, and then COVID happened and we were, you know, reading the news and really seeing how um, urban communities um, and people of color living in reservations and, um, you know, inner city tenements were um, being affected by COVID at much more um, stark and really startling um, numbers, people dying um, because of, you know, impacts of urban communities, just not having enough fresh air, not enough space to, to distance from uh, people and not enough, um, you know, health um, uh, and sort of not having, you know, healthcare access and not having um, opportunities to exercise and healthy food and yada yada and uh, living in food deserts, that kind of thing. And we realized um, we had to really fast track uh, this plan to get um, to create more avenues for people to have lives on farms and have space and have um, land of their own and you know room to breathe and places to stretch their legs and ample food um, grown by their own hands in community with people that they that they care for and who care for them. Um, so we we. I mean, it's a, it's a recent um, sort of since 2020, um, this initiative has sort of um, began to encompass uh, the lion's share of our work lives and really trying to make this happen for as many people as we possibly can. It's a very deep passion by the, I can hear it in your voice when you talk about it, how much this matters. Mm. And that actually, I, I did want to ask another follow-up question to that before we keep going. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned like you want your kids to pick as many berries as they want. And between like this community, um, this community space, and then you've got, like you said, those summer programs and everything. And I made a couple of notes for that of, like you said, you have those very cool summer camps and you're really, it seems like you're focusing on the kids. And I'm, I'm really curious if, if that's accurate, mm -hmm. um, that you have a little more passion. I don't want to say a little more, but like you can only do so much as one person, right. Or as one team. Sure. And yep. so it seems like you're really focusing on youth exposure to farming specifically. And I'm curious why that's your focus as opposed to, um, you know, single adults, like 
get the get the 20 year olds or the 18 year olds, the brand new adults and like get them like, hey, let's get you going on a farm. What is it that makes you focus more on getting the kids in there? Mm, That's a great question. We focus on the kids. I focus on the kids because uh, for those parents out there listening, I know you know what I'm talking about when I say what happens in the family is led by what the kids want to do. Um, and with <laughs> they're passionate about it and they're interested in it, that's a big part of what we do as a family is the things that they really love doing and that we can do as a family. Um, so we feel like we can get everybody. If we can get the kids, we can get everybody. Um, and I think in addition to sort of how families tend to, to follow the lead of the interests of children, um, because we're all like deeply invested in enriching our children and providing the best things in the world for them. Um, but an additional benefit of focusing on children is that I feel like we can just in the long term um, impact lives when we when we can have kids who have at this level of education and exposure and this comfort with growing food and comfort in nature um, and just love for the planet and love for good food and love for animals. Um, they can carry that forward into their future adult lives. And then they are actually, um, they have have spent a lot more time in it and therefore um, can become, through their immersion, um, experts in farming and really have this really deep level, um, you know, human experience of what farming is because they grew up with it. Um, and not, And I came to farming much later in life. Um, And I am still very much a novice on many accounts. I've been doing this for a number of years now, but I'll be 50 this year. Um, And uh, I just look at my kids and how much they know already. And if they stay with it, which it looks like they're, they really love um, different aspects that they work very hard and there's parts of it they don't love, but like they do love a lot about it. And I'm just thinking if they stick with it, if they still continue to work with animals that they like they love to do, and if they continue to, you know, grow strawberries and get better at it over the years, they'll be really, really, really good at it. Um, And even on top of that, the more they work with community on it, the more they have friends um, and people they're investing in around them, um, the more that they will know how to best um, be a community partner and how to best um, you know, provide these opportunities because they've been doing it a while and they've kind of honed their, their skills, um, over time. Um, so I feel like children have, of all of us, um, in the community have the best chance of just getting really, really, really good at something. Um, and the more we invest in them, um, the more benefit we can actually see in, in our future. I would agree with that hundred percent, that idea of instilling that early love of farming, that sense of community, the sense that we all need this farming involved in our communities. And that's such a great, um, it's a great angle to take. Cause I think, you know, like we heard from Juliana last week, there are a lot of, you know, us grownups that want to start new farms. And so there certainly are people to help and there are programs to help that, but it's very cool that you're saying, you know what, how about before we get there, then they don't need those, or maybe not as much, they won't need those starting farmer programs because they'll mm-hmm. already have such a great idea and such a passion for it that they're not going to be, you know, they may still hit the wall of like, well, I have to, you know, 
buy land or lease land and the red tape and the legal and the whatever. But, mm. you know, outside of that, it's going to be like, you know, there's nothing else I want to do other than have this farm life in my, in my days and mm-hmm. very cool. Yeah. So um, the other thing I found on your website that I thought was kind of curious is I would really love to hear more about this sweat equity CSA program you have. Oh. <laughs> um that's a great question. that's okay, that's what I think it is it's a very cool idea <laughs> it's basically it's so simple basically anybody can come out here um and uh sign up to be a CSA member and through labor on the farm earn um earn their produce basically um, we really try to, we're really invested in, um, I personally have a passion for, I'll say, um, what I'm calling diverse economies. Um, there's different people that have studied this, but, um, the idea is, um, it doesn't always have to be a monetary exchange, even though we live in a capitalist society and, you know, we are labor equals, you know, money in our, what we want in life, all cost they cost things, you know, even down to the water we drink. Um, but like, mm-hmm. I really love this idea of, um, being able to trade or being able to exchange or being able to share, uh, or be able to accept things as gifts, um, or being able to work and then obtain something that you want without having to have a monetary, um, you know, paper exchange there. Um, so the idea is that we experience value when you know loving community members come and help us out on the farm, um, and we love the presence of our neighbors and friends and community members here. Um, and because we welcome folks um, from all backgrounds here, um, and they can learn how to do different things and help out they get to harvest and, um, and eat and share in the produce and the bounty of what's growing here. That's what that program is all about. That's what I thought it was. And I thought, wow, that's, that is an incredibly generous thing to have on a farm, Mm. not common, um, which is a great lead in that, you know, it's, it's pretty clear that you do a lot of things not for yourself, not necessarily for your benefit, but focusing on the benefit that everybody else gets from it, which does beg the question of where did it start for you guys um, with wanting to have your farm in the first place? You know, I know you mentioned your kids and everything, but where did that idea come from? Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you could answer the part two of that is where, or maybe when did the idea start to start doing these um you know, this the sweat equity CSA, the nonprofits, and kind of all these extra community-based initiatives, because that's kind of, you know, we can get it while you start a farm, but then you've gone that extra step. So what triggered that, I guess, for you guys? Yeah. Um, well, it was motherhood for me. And I think when my husband and I moved out to California, um, after we got married, we um, met each other in New York City and lived there. Um for about a year and then we realized we wanted to have a family and we didn't want to have it in the city you know a family in the city and so um we chose to move to northern california and we bought um a house that had a quarter acre of land and it was in the middle of these beautiful um redwood forest near the coast um and it was just all this amazing nature and um 
and you know because it's California there was all these beautiful organic farms all around us we lived in Mendocino County um, and I had friends who had farms and um, you know I was in this mommy group and there was a farmer who invited me over and she um, she had a couple kids my kids age and we would go over there and my kids would play with her lambs and her sheep and feed her chickens and um, you know just run around and have fun and I was like, wow, this would be amazing if we could, um, if we could farm. And um, I remember reaching out to a couple of sort of, um, well, I guess I didn't, had a no familiarity with them back then, but I think they were sort of a USDA, it might've been an, an RCS office um, there. And I was talking to them about um, what it would take to farm and, you know, some of the financials around it and purchasing land and, you know, um, if anybody's ever lived in California, you know that land prices out there are just astronomical. Um, they make New York look like, cheap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not cheap anywhere, but like in California, it's like, whoa. It's extra um, not cheap. Yeah. It's extra not cheap. It's super not cheap. So I was like, there ain't nobody giving me $2 million to tomorrow <laughs> to do anything like this. So we kind of thought, huh, um, we want to farm. We want to kind of have our own space to to begin to have a small family run farm. It'd be really cool. Um, you know, I was a mom. My husband was dad, and you know, we had you know two kids by then. And um, we realized, gosh, this would be really great. Can't do it here, um, at least in terms of what we can envision uh, with our current finances. But where could we do it? Um, and my mom, uh, who was living in Michigan, where I'm from at the time. Um, she said, well, there's this commercial I just keep seeing. It's called uh, Startup New York. Um, and they give you money and they hook you up with, a, um, you know, a university to partner with and they sponsor you. And then you have these amazing take tax breaks if you start your business in New York State. Um, and I was like, huh, New York State, interesting. We'd be closer to family. Pete's my husband. Um, he has family out here in the East Coast. And we were kind of the only people in our family that were out west at that time and we're like huh that'd be cool so I was doing a little digging a little investigating ended up meeting with some folks at Cornell University um and they were like yeah it'd be great if we'd love to you know support you and this other um group um uh called the technology farm uh in Geneva New York it's connected to Cornell was like yeah you could start a you know a product here we could help you develop a juice um and you'd have this already, you know, already made bad in value product and it'd be awesome. So I was like, cool, cool. So I came, I flew out here, met with a few people, met with a dean at Cornell, met with the, the executive director of um, the tech farm, met with some um, scientists up there that were sort of focused on helping businesses develop their um, research and development uh, for different products. And I was like, this is amazing. They're like, this is, this could be your office space. This could be your blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I was like, cool. So, you know, we ended up moving out here, brought the whole family, you know, it was four of us and a dog. When we came out, we lived in a camper, kind of trying to save money for the farm. Um, and we were kind of like renting and looking, um, you know, around and um, yeah, it was like, we knew what we wanted and that's where it kind of started. Um, but, you know, getting our hands on the right piece of land took about a year of us kind of looking and looking and a friend of mine was like, look at this. And they showed us what is now the learning farm. And I was like, that's gorgeous. That's perfect. I would love it, but it's out of our price range. And they were like, you know, she, my realtor was like, you should write him a letter. 
tell them what you're going to do. It's really cool. Your program sounds awesome. I think they'd be interested. And lo and behold, they were, which was great. Um, this woman, uh, Barbara Mobs, who, uh, who sold us the place, had lived here for 40 some odd years and, um, you know, was a widow and said her husband would really love what we're going to do with the land and ended Aww. up her price to what we could, <laughs> what we could accept um, and ended up turning a much um, higher price deal from a developer down because um, she really saw oh, wow. and, and saw what we wanted to do and felt really passionate about it. So um, that's sort of how we began. Um, and you know, the vision keeps evolving and keeps, you know, shifting with, um, with all the beautiful things that we hear from community members about what they'd like to see us do and us kind of getting excited about all the great things that we could do here. I mean, there's waterfalls on the property and there's this beautiful, oh, wow. um, um, yeah, waterway here and, um, lots of, you know, South facing, um, land to grow things and so we have a lot of things happening and a lot of new projects going on but um yeah it all started with the children and the california um and the cornell <laughs> um and uh two very determined people who um who had a who had a vision that is quite the um pathway trail left behind from <laughs> Did you say you started in New York City, then California, yeah. and then back yeah. to New York? Yeah. You guys have put a few miles on your feet, huh? Oh, boy. Um, and the cars. We still have the car we drove out with. the. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the tow truck. With it's a the good car. car. Yeah, it's a good Whatever car. it is, keep it. Uh, well, she's kind of on her last legs, but we're going to hang on to her as much as, as long as we can. Right. <laughs> and for anybody listening, in terms of your, uh, your kind of your land deal, I have heard recently from some current realtors that apparently they're not allowed to write letters to people and let them know about what you want to use the land for anymore. So oh. I I just heard that within like the last month or two, somebody had mentioned that. And it's like, really? No, so geez. you might have to, you might have to get some creative ideas to kind of, you know, check with yes. your realtor and work around that. But I, I heard a rumor that they might actually be in trouble with their whatever it is, their licensing board, if they, if they have let their clients like write a personal letter to submit with the offers. So oh. nowadays with the way the market is and the whole like delayed negotiations and, you know, offers only accepted until a certain date, like it's crazy now. So mm. you may need to get creative for writing, writing letters or getting for sale by owner deals or something like that, but mm -hmm. that's neither yeah. here nor there. No, <laughs> I hear about Krista. No, that's a, no, I love it. That's, that's all about Krista because for me, it's all like, if you can't tell your story and if it's just all about the dollars and cents, you're really doing a disservice to the right. industry. I mean, people's stories do matter. Um, oh, absolutely. Communicate is important. So yeah, that's, thank you for sharing that. I hope that um, I can understand how that might pose challenges in some instances, but us being able to hear each other is, I think that's really important. So, right. No, absolutely. And it brings up the point of, you know, you have put in the, in the work and the initiative to buy land, to let other people farm on it. So maybe people want to start thinking creatively about, you know, perhaps you and some friends could go in on some land and it may not be that you're going to live at your farm for now, but you know, is there any reason that two, three, four families couldn't try and get together and purchase a plot of land? And then everybody kind of has their little like quadrant that they farm on or whatever. So mm -hmm. it's certainly, it, it's a great point to bring up whether the letter concept works or not anymore. Right. It still is a good idea to think about 
creatively, you know, Juliana is a great example that she said, I can't afford to buy land, so I'm going to figure out how to lease it. And it seems like it's working really well for her. So yep. however you can kind of make it happen to get to the farmland is <laughs> that's the part that matters. That's right. So, There's everybody has a different path, but find your path if that's what you want and, and figure out who you need to talk to um, who might be able to advise you and guide you. Um, I think that's, that's the key. My realtor, Helen Ann Eunice was, um, I mean, deeply committed to finding us the right place and um, really negotiating for us in ways that were, you know, uplifting to all parties. Um, yeah. It's finding the right person to help you awesome. is, is the key. That's awesome. Yeah. So let's shift gears just a little bit. Um, how did it feel? I know in your little video, you said you don't really believe in Queens, but how did it feel getting crowned as the firm queen of the week this week? <laughs> I will say that it felt amazing. And the reason why isn't because, um, you know, I believe in a certain sort of traditional, um, you know, monarchy sort of thing. And um, I'm sort of, you right. know, somebody that believes that there should be no, you know, strata amongst ourselves in terms of how we see each other and think we should see each other as equals no matter what. But the idea that my friend esteems my work and believes in me and wanted to share something that was fun for her, um, which is just, just, just very delightful experience um, to receive a beautifully jeweled bedazzled crown and have it on my head because she put it there um she's my sister and you know it just felt really um my sister in this work um it felt really great um so i felt honored and uh um be able to wear it myself and feel empowered and feel treasured uh, and feel um you know, valued, um, and also be able to pass on that, that, um, that trust to somebody else and say, I believe in you and your work. Um, and to me, you're a queen and, um, you know, you reign with love and, and care and, um, commitment to the community. Um, that was really fun. So thank you for doing that really cool. Um, that, that crown thing and the queen thing is really fun. I'm glad you liked it. And I think um, I think we use the term queen not in terms of like an elite leader, but in terms of, I'm going to probably use the wrong phrase, but like maybe that kind of pop culture use of the word like, oh, girl, you're a queen, you know, <laughs> so it's a little more meant to be like that. We're not trying to, you yeah. know, I mean, yes, we want to we want to really honor the women like yourself and like our other queens who are really like we said going above and beyond just running a farm every day who are really pushing for the betterment of farmers as a group and mm. so you're kind of you know something of that extra work is what makes you a quote-unquote elite but Aww. without without question it's it's definitely meant to like you said kind of show off who you are what you're working for you know the person who said, Hey, I see you. And I, I believe, like you said, I believe in you. I believe in what you're doing. So thank you so much. That means a lot. And I understand the, the beautiful spirit that you're doing all of this. So, so as a woman in agriculture specifically, because obviously farm queen, this is a little focused in here. What is a common misconception that you've come across in your travels here as a, as a woman farmer? 
Mm. Misconceptions about women farmers or um, is that what you're asking or misconceptions that um, about farming that, that women farmers have? I would say about being a woman in farming. So like if you go to the feed store or if you, you know what I mean? That the fact that you are a woman <laughs> in farming, Juliana had the great example. She said, you know, I'm trying to get hay for my farm. And the guy is kind of like asking her, well, you know, what are you using it for and everything? And she's like, mm. I just want the hay. Can I just <laughs> buy it? You know? And so she, she had that as one of her examples. Um, mm -hmm. So something kind of along like that. And it might be that people don't understand. Um, you know, we've had past Queens that have said that they get asked, oh, well, you know, did you run it by your husband or I need to talk to the farmer, meaning the man of the farm or anything, you know, so those kinds of things. But yeah, in terms of I things that maybe I people, maybe people don't understand about being a woman in agriculture. Yes. Kind of things that you come across. Yep. Oh, so many, so many. It's unfortunate too, um, because there's so many amazing, skilled, experienced, powerful, um, successful women farmers in the world, um, not just in the U.S., but around the world, and um, mm -hmm. how agriculture wouldn't be what it is and um, wouldn't be feeding as many people as it does, um, you know, uh, I think women are driving the sustainability movement. They're driving the community-based um, agriculture movement. Um, you know, pe marginalized people, as you know, women included, are are really driving um, what this is and really looking to the future. So it's really unfortunate how how we can be misconstrued in in this role. Um, but I definitely, <laughs> um, because we have so many projects going on, we have a number of different. Um, people, contractors and such, and delivery folks bringing materials and supplies and things that come uh, to do either do some work here or, um, you know, make a delivery or something. And they're always inevitably asking where my husband is. Um, and even though I'm the one that did the ordering, I'm the one that's doing the contracting, mm -hmm. um, uh, I'm the one that sort of is driving the 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 bus when it comes to what happens here on the farm um, as the, um, you know, my husband and I collaborate, but I sort of have the scope of what's um, what's being planned here in terms of its development. Um, and so, you know, it's always, you know, is your husband around or can I talk to your husband or is the is the farmer here um is the owner here those types of questions like it's always 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 um but um you know my phrase is always you're looking at her or you, you're asking for the owner here am I am like <laughs> Um, right. you can talk to yeah. me. Um, you're not going to get any higher than I am here. So, um, I always make a joke of it and I kind of laugh, but it is, it's, it's become a joke because it's just, um, you know, unavoidable in some ways. And there's some lovely, delightful people, um, you know, men that come through here and are fine with talking to me and eager even to answer my questions. And, um, take notes about what I want and make sure they do a good job. Like there's just a number of really great people out there, but um, I would say at least a handful of times a week, there's, there's always the husband question. Um, so, um, you know, I'm hoping that, um, that that is shifting the more 
our culture shifts towards, um, you know, women um, being the deciders of what's happening on land. Um, and I'm hoping that I think the trajectory is that more and more women are, are active participants and leaders on land. Um, and that the more we occupy those spaces, um, that those those types of questions will dissipate. Um, but, you know, even though they are still annoying um, and ever present, uh, you know, I'm not changing. It's funny when, you know, contractors will demand to talk to my husband and my children demand to, to talk to me <laughs> um, yep. at that time. So it's funny how um, nobody else will suffice sometimes. Um, but uh, in any case, yeah, we don't let it stop us. And, you know, we just keep rolling with it. And um, I think, uh, yeah, regardless of the dumb questions, I am who I am. I'm not stepping down from my role and I'm excited about what I'm doing. So people got to just deal with it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that that idea of like, well, you made the phone call, but you must just be the quote unquote secretary or something. You were just tasked oh. with making the call to order the delivery or, or something. Oh, like honey, that, but. you just bring up, a, you just jug my memory on something. I was going to, oh. we had just moved from California and you just bring up like the most horrendous memory. Um, I, I was in a bank and this bank, mind you, is, is like one of the, is known in the community as being like the one that's super community oriented and is doing all these programs to help people. I walk in, I have all my paperwork and documents to open up a business account and I'm opening up the account for the farm and um, I step up to the counter and um, the the person behind the counter is like, oh, um, you're opening this business account, you have to have all these documentation and um, you know, you know, a leader from your organization needs to come in and open the account. And I was like, oh, I have all of my documentation, you're looking at the leader. And she looks at me and she goes, oh, I thought you were the secretary. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm like, huh? Me too, Brute. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I would have walked out and gone to a different bank. I I did. And it's funny. I did. I walked out. And I was like, I'm not going to be banking here. And I ended up calling a friend who I just made here. I was like, where should I bank? I had this experience at this bank. And she's like, oh, no, no. That's not, that was one person at that bank. This bank is awesome. All of us bank at this bank. You need to find the right person. Just, you know, let whoever know, I'll tell you who to talk to. This is the business um, accounts manager and this is who you talk to. So I gave him a second chance and I talked to the manager and he was super nice. And I was like, this person needs some training. He was like, oh yes, we're still working with her. She's going to get some training. It's fine. Um, and I still bank with them and they do an amazing job. So I being a gracious and forgiving person as much as I possibly can, <laughs> I do bank there. Um, and I don't see that person, uh, any longer. And I don't know if she just moved on or if she did was discovered that she just wasn't a fit. Um, but I don't have to deal with that person. I don't deal with those questions. And when I walk in the bank and they're very friendly and they've, um, they have done quite a lot to support um, our vision here uh, in a financial sense. So um, sometimes you have to try, try again, unfortunately. Um, but there we have it. I still bank with them. Which I applaud you for being the bigger person because 
I don't know that I would have been. Quite it's hard. No, it's it. That's, the struggle is real. It's like I don't have time to be giving all these second chances to every business. Like sometimes you just get one shot, and if you blow it, there's a bunch of other people that are more than willing to to take the space. Um, because that's what competition is. Um, it's a beautiful thing. But right. amen to all of that. <laughs> Thank you. So I wanna I wanna shift gears a little bit. So. Given that you do so much beyond just run a farm, um, you know, and you've said you've got the Kuba International, you've got the Quarter Acre for the People, you've got your farm that you're running, you're mm-hmm. still, it sounds like, even pushing for all of those things to be growing for possibly mm-hmm. more kinds of these projects in the future. Mm-hmm. We said right in the beginning, it sounds like you must be exhausted at the end of every week. Mm. In terms of when things have really gotten difficult for you, um, you know, when you've really kind of come up against a wall or if you've had some of the bigger hurdles to get through as you've been working towards some of these projects opening up, what is it that keeps you going day in and day out to do this, not just hard farm life, but to continue to push for above and beyond outside of that? Mm, Great question. I have to say it is God. I have a really, um, a strong commitment to my faith. Um, and I think going on almost 25 years, 26 years, um, I have prioritized my spiritual life, um, and have, um, made a, a commitment to be devoted to my prayer life and communicating, um, with um you know a being that i know loves me and cares for me and calls me higher and um you know has um you know set a path of excellence in the way i treat people um before me and so um that really helps sort of call me back to who I've committed to be, um, really being as loving, as forgiving, as um, gracious, um, as hardworking a person as I possibly can be, a person who is, um, you know, goes easy on myself um, and not beating myself up if I fall short, but, you know, just striving to, to do better and better um, and really finding ways to enjoy um, my life in ways that also um, support and enhance the lives of others. Um, so that I feel like, you know, my prayer life, I read the scriptures, I go to church and I, you know, talk to other folks who, um, who can help kind of support and encourage me on that path. Um, those, that type of community really helps, um, keep me strong and encouraged and happy and feeling joy in my life. Um, and even though things really, you know, challenging, deeply challenging, hard things happen in my life, um, there's always this sort of double strand of beautiful, amazing, wonderful, fantastic, you know, things, you know, awe-inspiring things that I just never knew would ever happen to me happening. Um, and there's always something really challenging and hard and (laughs) discouraging and, um, sad happening. Um, and they always tend to happen concurrently. Um, I think, you know, the way that my life goes, um, the one consistent, um, reliable thing is God. Um, 
and so yeah that's that I can I can't say enough about that relationship and how it has brought me through good times and bad times and everything in between I think a lot of people listening and myself included can relate to that Mm. would you say then that um besides just having the faith and having that strong of a faith would you say that remembering that you know kind of every bad thing kind of gets balanced out by something good like like mentality of you know do you do you find yourself reminding yourself like you know hey good things are coming better things are coming and Mm -hmm. is it kind of like a positive thinking kind of a practice that you follow Um, besides like the prayer and everything you know I think if you my my version of positive thinking is sort of the realism um I I really rely on sort of that realistic view of like tomorrow is not promised to any of us um I am not guaranteed a happy life um you know um if everybody in the world hates my guts God still loves me like those it sounds really harsh but like I sometimes really realize that um when things are challenging I'm not necessarily um you know people who came before me had really horrible terrible I mean, painful, deeply discouraging, hopeless, hopeless, sad, sad lives. Um, And yet a lot of them had this incredible faith and love for God. And so part of me says it's not, my faith doesn't really depend on, oh, things are going to get better and there's a silver lining and da, da, da. Like life can be just really horrible. Um, But does that, does the circumstance drive my belief? And I think for those of us with faith, we know that it's not about the circumstances and what our experiences are saying. It's really what God promises. Um, and brought, God doesn't promise a perfect life or a better tomorrow. He promises heaven. Like he promises, you know, joyful relationship with him in heaven. Like it doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect here on earth. Um, and I think sometimes that can be a, a hard pill to swallow um, because sometimes we just want things to be easier and happier here. Um, but that's what faith is. It's like you, it's not really what you see before your eyes that's that's driving the story. It's, um, it's all the invisible things that you believe uh, are true, um, despite what you might see in front of you. I think that's a great reminder obviously for the folks that are also faithful that are listening, but I think that's just a general life statement that is so insightful and good for people to remember that life is not supposed to always be good. You know, it reminds me of what I tell my kids for school, like school shouldn't be easy or you're not learning. (laughs) And if life was always easy, you would never learn how to get through the hard stuff. So Mm. I think that's a, that's a great reminder of, um, you know, hardships will come but it's it's just it's just life mm-hmm. you know kind of sounds like you're building yourself like a what do I call it like a waterproof exterior of like things will come and they, they will hit me but they will just roll off like a raincoat and <laughs> you'll carry on stay on the path but just yeah it's, it's a great get reminder it's easy sometimes it's amazing and sometimes it's really really hard um yep. and okay I mean we have we have a friend who um who can help us get through hard times or good times. So thank you for asking that question. That felt beautifully said, beautifully said.
So for all the folks who are more than eager to follow along with your farm, with all of the, all of the missions that you work on, Mm. all of these amazing projects that you're working towards, where's the best place for people to find you and follow along on your journey, on your path? Hmm, That's great. Um, Websites are um, learningfarm.org is our Mm -hmm. farm website. And then uh, the nonprofit is Kuba. It's spelled K-H-U-B as in boy, A as in apple, I-N-T-L. So Kuba, I-N-T-L dot org is the nonprofit. And we're launching a new website um, where it's a farm trail for um, farms that are connected to each other, farmers of color who um, who are farming in um cooperation uh in in family units or in community with others um it's called farming for freedom trail dot org um and it's new and i'm excited about it and we're going to be having events where um we're going to be inviting community out to have a party and enjoy the food and sign up for csas and do tours and music and dancing um and so that'll be um coming up this fall um and how about on like facebook or anything can they find you on there totally farming uh sorry um facebook it's uh learning farm if you just type in learning farm um and if you type in learning farm ithaca it'll take you directly to our page and then instagram we have learning farm uh on instagram as well um also kuba international is on both um instagram and and facebook as well hopefully you'll get a lot more uh visibility and everything on your pages and have people following along and sharing and that would be amazing encouraging you along on your mission so grateful thank you so much for this opportunity to share about what we do and thank you for this great podcast i wish you all the best with all of them thank you we've been so so honored to have you on here thank you Thank you. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support our podcast by clicking the link in the description, by subscribing through your favorite podcast app, and by following us on your favorite social media platform. 